Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Pink and Channels. Happy international break. A little bit of a, a break for everyone from the robust nature of the championship. Uh, joined by Paddy Davitt. Pad, first and foremost, how are you? It's uh, it's nice to have a little bit of a breather, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little bit, mate. Yeah, I've got a bit of a cold, just the cold, I hasten to add. But uh, other than that, not too bad, mate. Yeah, yeah it's quite not, nice not to have a, a game this weekend, just in purely logistics terms. We're not having to, it feels like we've clocked up a few miles as fortunate as we all are, as we know, given fans aren't allowed in at the minute. But uh, Forest was an away game. I think we've been to Wickham. It's um, one or two of us. They all merge into one. But uh, yeah, it feels like, yeah. and more importantly, for albeit it's not really they're all sat there putting their feet up at Colney if you're Daniel and his squad, because there's quite a few, notably on El Hernandez, um, going far and wide around the globe. So, um, But I do think it's still, from Norwich's point of view, nice just to have a... Afternoon, John. Uh, nice to have a just a pause. I'm sure if you're Daniel Fark and his coaches, what this week and next week allows is a bit of reflection, just to you know take a pause, take a breath, look at how things are looking, which is quite rosy, and then just resetting to go for the final push. And um, you know there will be challenges still down the stretch, but they're in such a strong position now, and it's ultimately testament to that run of as it was, 28 points from 30 prior to. They've just blown away the rest. Um, it's only Watford who've really been able to just almost cling to their coattails. And uh, as a result, you would hope, um, touching wood here, that uh, all those players come back fit and healthy from international duty and um, and they can go again. But we'll probably get into it. But obviously, Preston away two days after quite a few of them are played is, is far from ideal. But... Um, I still think you know. I still think they've got enough in the group uh, to get a result at Preston, and then you know it might not be too many games thereafter, depending on what the others are doing. But the way they're, they're sort of not really putting a lot of pressure on, you know, Watford are on a good run, and yet they're still eight points adrift. That's testament to how well Norwich have done that they've got that buffer zone really. So um, yeah, it's nice to have a breather, but uh, certainly I think if you're a Norwich fan, you'd probably just want to get it done now because it feels like it's in so tantalisingly close just get it over the line and then the next chapter hopefully with fans allowed back in next season is a Premier League season to look forward to rather than one to endure like the last one yeah, let's hope so. 14 points, uh, I believe, are needed for Norwich now because Swansea play Watford on the final day. So one of those is going to drop points, which um, which makes it slightly uh, slightly fewer that Norwich need. Um, of course, uh, we'll, we'll be all the remaining games, uh, pinking.com, of course, the place to go. But in terms of this afternoon, I haven't got any notes or anything like that. So I want to really be guided by uh, you guys watching. So any questions, any comments, get them in and we'll um, we'll discuss them um, for however long you, you would like to join us and see we get a few filtering through. So um, thank you for those. But Pad, let's start with the internationals um, and probably start with Grant Handley really because it was his, his only his second goal for Scotland in 30 appearances last night. I uh, I did watch it and um, it was it was quite the uh, it was quite the header but I'm hoping it puts to end the debate that everyone has about Grant Hanley not having much pace because I think he's he's proven that that is the case. It's certainly, yeah, and, and and it for me feels like a debate outside the borders of Norwich and Norfolk, really, because um, you know there's, there's no doubt he, he he feels like he's one of those probably undervalued players, and that I can only assume is people look at him and look at the size of him and, and maybe feel he's he's a little bit of a throwback to centre backs of yesteryear. But you know, as Daniel Farker would say. You know, he's come on massively as a player in terms of his ability, the, the, the defensive side of his game, but also, you know, in terms of his work on the on the floor. And, yeah, there's no doubt about it. He is an athlete. I think Daniel would tell you 
uh, I think it's only Poeta and maybe Onel who are faster than him, um, which isn't too shabby really in a squad that's got the likes of Max Ahrens in as well and one or two other speed merchants. So, you know, long may it continue if people outside of Norwich want to continue to undervalue Grant Hanley. Um, for me, that, that case has been closed now. He's, um, he's such an important player and, and he's still probably not quite in his peak years. So with him, I think we've all seen enough of him now since he joined from Newcastle. The key is his fitness and, and his staying injury-free. If he does that and he gets consistent runs of games, I think he's more than good enough, certainly for the championship. And you would hope he, he because ultimately when he came through at Blackburn, you know, he got his move to Newcastle. He was seen as a Premier League grade defender. And I still think there is a Premier League grade defender in him. And uh, on the international side, it is good. I mean, I think that was his first cap in three years, which again yeah. underlines his injury problems as well. Uh, far too long an absence for, let's be honest, a country that don't have a dearth of, well, they do have a dearth probably of central defensive talent. I mean, looking wide areas, you've got Robertson and Tierney, you know, excellent players as good as probably anywhere in, in the UK in those positions. Um, but certainly central defence, I always thought if he could keep himself fit, given that Scotland have qualified for the Euros in the summer, there's a massive opportunity for him. And it was great that he took his chance last night. You know, he got an early booking, didn't he? I think, um, so he had to obviously, you know, walk a little bit of a tightrope. But to, to get on the score sheet, Daniel's saying that's one of the areas he wants more from. You know, he scored at Cardiff, but what he offers in terms of attacking set pieces, he probably should be chipping in with a few more goals. So that was great to see. Um, and again, we're probably going to say this with a lot of the international boys in this discussion. Just stay fit, come back fit and healthy and uh, and then carry on where you left off. Because for me, you know, he should, he should be aiming to be part of the starting eleven for Scotland at the Euros and what an incentive he's got, you know, to, to go there as a Premier League player, uh, having hopefully lifted a title with Norwich. Um, he's got a very exciting, potentially, two or three months ahead of him. Yeah, he definitely has. It was his uh, his first appearance in pretty much to the day, three years, two days, I think, probably, um, either side. And then his, his first goal in eight years, which arrived back in 2013 against Wales for a wow. 2014 World Cup qualifier. So, yeah, I think all in all, a good night for Grant Hanley, even though his, his goal probably got overshadowed a bit by John McGinn's overhead kick. It wasn't so, bad, you know, was it? Yeah, it wasn't bad. No, it wasn't, wasn't bad at all. But um, that, that probably meant that we, we didn't get to hear from Grant Hanley, which is a, a little bit of a shame, but probably understandable given the goal. Um, and, and then the other one on the international front, Pad is Onel Hernandez. I know you were up in the early hours of what yeah, yesterday morning it would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, reporting on on Anel. I mean, we we had a little bit of a saga with some ash clouds, but he got there eventually, and he's finally made his debut for Cuba. To be fair, I mean, from what we know of Onel and the type of infectious character he is, I mean, it's peak Onel Hernandez that he couldn't just go there, nice and straightforward, you know. <laughs> join up with Cuba, go on, play the game, start the game, and and hopefully prove to everybody what a you know what a great player he can be for his country, and he, and he's so proud to do it. You know, he's he's talked openly about wanting to go and do that and how much it means to him. But as I say, Onel, Onel being Onel with his you know the, the Argos things popping into my head as I'm talking, uh, it wasn't straightforward. And you know, chapter verses on Pinkin.com now, but for anybody who has missed it, essentially. He was due to fly to Mexico and then Mexico, which borders Guatemala, which is where Cuba's first World Cup qualifier was. Um, should have been an hour 55 flight. Pretty straightforward hop on the Tuesday. Wasn't able to get there because the, there was a, a volcanic eruption, an ash cloud. Um, so instead of being able to link up with his new... Bear in mind, he's never, I think he's, he openly said, I'd never even met a lot of his teammates before. So, you know, that acclimatisation period was completely... Uh, 
removed from from what he was trying to do. And, and in, in the end, he's literally looked like he's got jumped on a biplane, a private plane, uh, and managed to fly in, land, almost get changed in a vehicle as it's speeding towards the stadium. And then 44 minutes on the clock, uh, Cuba nil, Guatemala nil, he appears, uh, cursory warm-up and straight in. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just absolute bizarre story, really, for a World Cup qualifier. You know, you'd say that was... Uh, wasn't very good preparation if it was the dog and duck on a Sunday Eaton Park, but uh, for a World <laughs> Cup qualifier, making your debut for your country. And sadly, um, uh, they got beat 1-0. I think they had a man sent off and then Guatemala scored thereafter. But it probably for him, I'm sure, was less about the result and more just about being part of such a special moment for him and his family, And I'm sure. And, and obviously now he's uh, he's still with the Cuba squad they have a home tie against Curacao uh, apologies for the pronunciation on Sunday I think um, and I think that'll probably be a special one for him because that'll be back in Cuba so uh, and you would imagine uh, he will start that game and uh, we wish him the best there and hopefully uh, a less uh, a less uh, what's the word I'm looking for adventurous return home to Norwich because uh yeah, I don't think uh, Daniel Varka is going to be too... Well, he wasn't too impressed. We had some quotes from Daniel. He wasn't too impressed that he was going out there in the first place. So what he made of ash clouds and biplanes and getting changed in the car and God knows what I, I dread to think. I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he comes back to Colney for that conversation. But uh, um, but it is, it's great to see. And, um, you know, also great to see in this era where there's a lot of to and fro about is international football important anymore? Is it relevant, um, you know, that there is a, a football player who essentially wanted to move heaven and earth to go and represent his country because it means that much to him. And uh, for me, that's fantastic to see, you know, because it would have been a lot easier um, given that Norwich are on the cusp of getting to the Premier League and you may be looking at it through a self-interested focus to say, well, yeah, maybe not for me. Maybe I'll just focus on my club career in the, in the, in the interim. But uh, no, not a bit of it. Um, and when you see that, you know, you can only wish him the best. So uh, great story. And hopefully it finishes on a winning note Sunday. and then. He comes back safe and sound, and uh, and on we go. Yeah, that is a good point, isn't it? His, his final game, well, his game on Sunday is his final one, and then he can return to uh, to Norfolk um, for their game against Preston, which we'll come on to in just a minute. Let's dive into some comments. Um, Keith has said, afternoon, boys. Hope you're both well. All good. Thank you, Keith. Um, and he said, nice to draw breath from the league. And then he said, how many wins uh, would it take? 14 points off the top of my head. That's what, four wins, three wins and two draws. Um, so that, that would do it. Will Norwich need that much? Probably not. Uh, Shane Jones has asked this, and I think someone else asked it down below. Josh uh, Pratchett as well, who's um, put thoughts on the Will Volks transfer rumours and then Shane's comment there. How strong are the links with the Cardiff player? Uh, I really hope we can get Skip back on loan. Uh, will really help his development. The pressure would be off him in the Premier League with Norwich, whereas at Spurs, expectations will be high. I think the problem with Ollie Skip is that he's performing at, at such a high level that Tottenham would be very keen, particularly under Jose Mourinho, to get him back in, in that first team. But um, just going back onto, onto Will Volks and those rumours that have appeared, uh, it was a, a Daily Mail report pad, and, and in that they said Norwich have had a long-held interest in him. I think he was linked back when he was at Rotherham, and then he opted to join Neil Warnock at Cardiff for for a couple of, of, of million. But given that Norwich could lose Ollie Skip, Volks is a very combative midfielder. You can kind of see the thinking behind this report, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there is definitely has been an interest in the past. He, he is one who uh, fits a, a lot of the profile that Weber and, and Farker look for in that type of player. Um, and the standout for me in this latest report is is the monetary value attached, you know, £7 million. You look what they're doing subject to them getting over the line with, with Gibson, with Yanoulis, 
that's the bracket of player in terms of monetary value. I think Norwich will be pitching their their tent uh, this coming summer. I, I don't think, for all the reasons you know, well stated in terms of the you know the financial hole that COVID has left on, on the football club. You know, twenty five million probably over last season and this season. Um, and okay, they're going to go back hopefully to the the land of milk and honey, but that, but it still will be. Not quite as circumspect as previous windows, um, certainly compared to the, the window going into the Premier League two seasons ago, when it, essentially they, their hands were tied still, and it had to be a lot of lone players. You know, the Patrick Roberts, the Imran Amadou's, or Ralph Farmans. Um, there will be more ambition shown, but I, I, I don't think we're going to be suddenly seeing 10, 15, 20 million power players arriving at Norwich. A, they don't have the money. B, totally contrary to what they're trying to build here in terms of sustainability. But Five, six, seven, eight million pound players. Yeah, I could see those type of deals happening. How many? Time will tell. Um, and of course, what you say is right, Connor. You know, if, if they aren't sure um, or they can't plan with any certainty that Ollie Skip will return to Norwich, they'd have to look at alternative options. You know, um, they wouldn't be doing their job in terms of Weber, Kieran Scott, and the recruitment guys if they, they hadn't drawn up lists of potential players for that area of the pitch. You know, Jacob Sorensen will come into the mix, but he's clearly unproven. Um, in terms of that role, not not even at the championship level, he hasn't we really seen a sustained run because how well Skip and Kenny McLean of late, Lucas Ruppel, so there as well. Um, it is clearly in a Skip less Norwich side an area they would need to go and strengthen. There's no doubt about it because um, you know it was proven in the Premier League season because what happened at the end of that season going into this season, Moritz Liner, Tom Tribal, thanks for everything, but time to move on because they didn't feel they had the, the type of player they needed in that holding role necessarily. They've obviously addressed it superbly with Ollie Skip this season, but I think you have to feel because of how well he's done, he must be at least in the in Jose's thoughts to, to come in and, and try and prove himself in pre-season. And then, then a decision may be made, but unfortunately for Norwich, they can't really plan on possibly getting Ollie Skip a week before hypothetically the Premier League starts. It's just a non-starter. So, uh, I think at this stage, unless they've they've had a clear indication they can get Ollie Skip back, I think they're going to have to plan without him ultimately. And if that is the case, this won't be the only lad in that area of the pitch they're going to get linked with because they clearly need to address that area of the squad. Yeah, especially given that we we could be without Mario Vrancic and, and Alex Tetti come the summer as well, given their their contractual situation. So um, it does make a lot of sense. I actually spoke to a, a Cardiff reporter about him last night and uh, he was basically said that, that Cardiff would be very pleased with £7 million in the current climate just just because of their financial situation. He, he did say that he's a, a very good player, very consistent player and as Chris Gorham pointed out on Twitter, Pad, he has a, a very long throw, which is something that, that Norwich ultimately could use, I suppose, in, in the Premier League. We've seen teams who maybe are, are scrapping at the bottom and, and those fine margins can be so pivotal. Well, given Chad, you knew this throws the ball then they definitely need a throw, throw-in specialist. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Daniel, when he, I think Rob Butler asked him about that um, tongue-in-cheek incident, and Daniel, yeah, made a joke about it. He probably shouldn't. There was obviously a quite well, well thumbed social media clip of Daniel imitating Yunulis, but he did talk it in a more serious level about restarts can be pivotal. You know, if there's ten or fifteen restarts in a game, whether that's throw-ins or you know set pieces, whatever, um, and you're giving the ball away essentially, which is what Yunulis did on that occasion. Then certainly in the Premier League, better players, better setups, you will get punished. And you know, Liverpool didn't they bring in a throw-in coach there a season or two back? You know, if it's good enough for, for the Liverpools of this world in terms of actually specialising in aspects of the game down to the level of taking a throw-in, then yeah, I, I haven't 
you know, I'll be interested. What in tell we what we're talking? Rory the lap type uh, can get a bit of length on it type throwing. This lap uh, apparently so. Yeah, we're talking tea towel that sort of that sort of. Oh, right, okay. Throw it in, yeah, and, and they yeah. can cause absolute chaos, can't they? Well, yeah, I mean, you've seen one or two teams Norwich have played recently with with those throw in type specialists, and you know it is difficult to defend if you then get a you know somebody attacking it. I think Cardiff, well, obviously Cardiff, yeah, Volks because uh, Kiefer Moore, I remember who. Uh, who was able to cause a nuisance at sort of near posts when the ball was coming in in that game. And that last 15, 20 minutes, actually, of that game, that's popping into my head. I mean, Norwich had to be pretty resolute. Dan Barden was very good that day. Um, so it is a threat. But I don't I don't think we're suddenly going to, uh, if Will, Will Vaux moved, walked in the door, I don't think suddenly Norwich are going to uh, be playing uh, percentage football and playing to the corners to try and win throw-ins. But, yeah, you, you, you take every card you can in your pack. And uh, there's no, no doubt... Uh, they definitely need a throw-in specialist, that is for sure. <laughs> yeah, particularly on that left side. So there you go, that's that's Will Volks. I think he's he's probably one of many that uh, that we'll see linked with Norwich in recent weeks. Sheffield United also mentioned in that report, but um, sounds like one that Chris Wilder would have liked and, and probably their interest would depend on any incoming manager. Uh, a couple of questions, one from Chris Smith and uh, Rhino Phil on Facebook, which I'll, I'll couple together because it's essentially the same question, which is uh, any news on Ben Gibson, any update on, on Ben Gibson? Of course, he, he had his scan in the first part of the week. We're expecting him to have another one tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, I've heard could be today, could be later today or, or just over the weekend. But yeah, I think by all accounts, um, they expect it's season over, but they obviously just want to wait for this final specialist to confirm what all the previous scans to this point have suggested that season over and possibly surgery. Um, shame for the lad. Uh, it's been said elsewhere. Of course, it has no impact on, on that deal getting made. That that purely hinges on Norwich being in the Premier League next season. So there's no issue in terms of uh, bye-bye Ben Gibson. Um, but it's just a shame for the lad that, you know, he's going to miss the, the rest of the, of the season. And, uh, you know, given how good him and Hanley have been, we talked a lot about Hanley at the start of the, you know, the discussion here. And um, he has been good, Grant Hanley, but I think he's been made even better because of the relationship he's developed with Ben Gibson, you know, the left side and the right side. We're talking about players, potentially, can they step up into the Premier League? He has that to prove as well because it, it you know, it bombed spectacularly at Burnley for him uh, after you know he moved there for considerable money, um, fifteen million, I think was the figure mooted from Middlesbrough. He will have a point to prove, and um, there's no doubt that looks an astute piece of business, even at eight million, um, which is it's the trigger fee, you know, uh, for a Premier League defender with potential to again, he's not, I wouldn't say he's at his peak either. So if he can steer clear of of any further injuries or longer term injuries, then very interested to see how he gets on because he certainly won't lack for motivation. You can imagine burning deep inside him is wanting to prove a few people wrong at Premier League level, you know, who, who clearly have doubted him and haven't felt he's up to scratch. Um, but sadly, yeah, in terms of the here and now, I think that's Ben Gibson's season over. And of course, what does that mean? It means A, Grant Hanley, come back safe and sound. B, Christoph Zimmerman, your chance to shine now, you know, where he will have been itching for a, a, a prolonged run in the side. Um, he's going to get it now over these remaining games. And I, and I for me, okay, yeah, I think most Norwich fans would agree if you were picking your two, it would be Hanley and Gibson. But Hanley and Zimmerman isn't a dramatically reduced uh, part pairing for me. Um, Zimmerman knows what it's all about. He's been there two years ago. He was magnificent alongside Ben Godfrey and saw the deal home. And, and you would fully expect that him going in alongside Grant Hanley doesn't dramatically uh, weaken Norwich as a defensive unit. So um, great that they've got that back up because obviously, you know, what was the discourse? Last season, it was centre-backs or lack of, you know, and um, 
you know, if, if they'd have found themselves short again, then I think there would have been some serious questions to answer this season. As it turned out, you know, with Gibson, Zimmerman and Hanley, that's carried them through pretty much all season now. And um, and it's going to get them over the line. So, yeah, it's sad for Ben Gibson that it ends that way, but played a major part in getting them into contention to, to get over the line. And, uh, yeah, I think that looks a very good bit of recruitment. And, um, you know, your new list as well. You know, I think he's now beginning to, to show that, you know, potentially he could be a very good signing. And uh, that's why I'd be very confident that Norwich going into this window will not be the Norwich who went into the window. I mean, Stuart Webber, that, there was that quote, wasn't there, that essentially he said he left let Daniel Farker down in terms of the recruitment that he got wrong in the summer they went into the Premier League. You know, he said he, what was it, you know, we went into a firefight without a gun type of uh, comment. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I think Stuart Webber will be desperate to avoid that scenario playing out again and deals like Janoulis, deals like Gibson tell you that the planning is already fully fully formed and quite well advanced and that's why I think you know it's quite interesting to see where they go in terms of the areas of the squad that they feel needs to to be developed going into the window because I think there's a lot of areas you you would be a, quite more quite for me more relaxed about it than two seasons ago because you know that if they can keep a lot of those players, then they're going to be better served. But of course, we're talking about ins. The fear is out. Aaron's, Buendia, Cantwell, you know, those type of players and what that would detrimentally have a knock-on effect in terms of A, the recruitment and B, the squad. So, so many moving parts. One thing for certain will not be a dull summer, that is for sure. No, I actually think this this might be quite a, a, a good opportunity for Norwich this summer because there are lots of clubs who are going to be dealing with the effects of COVID on a financial basis. France, of course, have, have seen that massive TV deal collapse. There's lots of clubs there in desperate need of money. So yeah. in terms of how Norwich operate, this might be a fairly good window for them in terms of harvesting players for, for relatively low fees just because of the, the state of world football at the moment, which has been impacted by by COVID. Norwich, of course, have also been impacted. If, if they go up, there's still that that hole that needs to be filled, but obviously that's going to be less pressing in in the Premier League. So it's um, I think it's set to be a fascinating summer and no doubt we'll get more questions about that in a, in a moment. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the latest on, on Ben Gibson. Just in terms of cover then, Pad, if, um, if we're bringing Zimmerman straight back in, that's the expectation. Would you expect Tetti and, and Sorensen to move into those kind of um, backup roles or, or would you expect someone like Andrew Omabamadile who... Uh, Farker has, has spoken about, uh, or as a while ago, wasn't it, about making sort of major strides this season. How do you think he will he'll go in terms of covering those those um, those two? Yeah, I think he's. I think he'd go the first two. I, I, I think it's probably not the right time now to be exposing on a, on a daily to, to you know the, the even with an eight point sort of cushion, what will be quite a pressurised running um, because when you get that close, it still feels tantalisingly just out of reach and. You know, each game will feel probably bigger than the next one. So, yes, he'll be obviously retained and in around it. Of course, if Ben Gibson's unavailable, they're probably going to need him maybe in the eighteen on a lot of these games moving forward. But, but no, I think um, heaven forbid. But if it is Zimmerman or a Hanley for any reason were unavailable, I think he'd go Sorensen. You know, he's talking him up, and we don't need to. You know, don't need to see if the lad's versatile because of the run he had at left back. Um, did a magnificent job there over the entire piece. For, for a man who wasn't a left-back and had never played there in his career. He has played at centre-back for the 21s, or remember, uh, for his country, Danish 20, 21s, actually. I remember him telling me that um, when we spoke to him on tour out in Germany last summer. So, um, you know, he isn't that unfamiliar with the position. And, of course, Alex Tete has 
on occasion for Daniel Farker operated there as well. So let's hope that's a hypothetical conversation we have to continue having. But should it come to pass, I think he'd go that route straight away. And um, and then Omar Daly, who he clearly values, you know, he's kept him in and around it, um, gave him a few minutes off the bench in a few of those games earlier in the season. But I, I don't think you want to be exposing a, a guy who's, you know, still really very raw to, to the pressure that comes with trying to, Get over the line in a promotion race. So, um, but would we would we be concerned necessarily if Sorensen or Teddy had to go in for a game or two? Not really for me. I think uh, you know I think Norwich have have got the insurance policy on the board already in terms of points. So you wouldn't be overly concerned. It's not ideal, clearly, if you're playing a centre midfielder at centre back. But uh, you know, given at various points this season, Norwich have had Sorensen at left back. They've had no out-and-out striker, you know, Marco Steeperman in a false nine. They've had Michael McGovern instead of Tim Krul. They've had Dan Barden instead of Tim Krul and Michael McGovern. You know, these are challenges they've faced and, to this point, have managed to find a solution. So that's not something that would unduly worry anyone. But ultimately, you know, it does place a huge onus on Zimmerman and Hanley staying fit, staying free of suspension, which is probably less of a concern now at this stage, but essentially staying fit. Um, and, you know, if they do that, then I think Norwich will will continue on their merry way. I don't think it will be a major hit, um, but yeah, let's let's hope. Given that Gibson's out, that um, that's the last centre back injury we have to talk about for the remainder of the season. Yeah, hopefully it's a, a topic we don't have to dive into uh, at any great length uh, for over the last remaining what nine games or so, eight games. Um, Josh on Facebook, any update on the potential movement of the Preston game? Um, Pat, I'll throw this one to you, but it. it it looks like Norwich. I think, will be no, 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 Connor, I'll throw that back to you because uh, I mean, you're not. We're not breaching any confidences. You've been in dialogue with the EFL, mate, in the last 24, 48 hours. Just bring us up to speed. But I think the simple answer is it's not going to move, is it? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, no, no official word from from the EFL. They did offer some guidance, which um, the the nub of it was essentially what we already know in terms of. Uh, the clubs would have to agree, and clearly Bre- uh, Preston aren't going to agree. And um, I think the point was made that essentially there's been more midweeks this season than, than there have been and um, different points on that and, and that they're, they're aware that essentially the championship falls victim to the international schedule. But yeah, that that is essentially it. It's, it's not going to change and Norwich will have to deal with it. But um, it still feels a little bit ludicrous, doesn't it, that we're asking players to go. And I know there'll be people out there who point while Norwich have a big squad, they can just use those players. But the argument, I think, is more the precedent you're setting, isn't it, by allowing a fixture to take place within that sort of shorter window from when players not just have been playing, because if you're playing in like Grant Hanley and Kenny McLean will be, if you're playing in Scotland, it's a little bit different to playing in um, Cuba, for example, or, or Finland or whatever. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it just doesn't feel quite right. And, and well, we've obviously heard from Daniel Farker how frustrated he is by it. What do you kind of make of the situation? Yeah, I mean, I mean, absolutely that. Um, you know, we're talking about, heaven forbid, injuries to centre-backs. Now, Grant Hanley has had his problems with injuries, with muscular injuries. What, what about if he plays on that Wednesday, two, two days before less than just under, and then has to be wheeled out at Preston, gets injured? Where, where are Norwich then for the remainder of the season? It's Christoph Zimmerman plus. Um, that That isn't fair for not for my reckoning when uh, I've not checked the complete list of fixtures. But I think not... And Norwich the only one out of the top four or five who are actually playing on the Good Friday. Um, maybe you can check that for us, Connor. But uh, but to me, that's an uncompetitive advantage, uh, disadvantage for, for Norwich. I don't see why, as Daniel's point was, which is fair, there's no fans in the stadiums. So it's not a logistical issue with having to 
basically tell fans that you're not coming Friday, you're coming Saturday, for example. And also, it's not a Sky game, so there's no issue with the broadcasters. Um, so, really, the issue is that Preston don't want to, you know, agree to switch the fixture, um, and the EFL are bound by that. Now, for me, I think the EFL should be taken out of the hands of the clubs and should be making the decision um, which the clubs have to abide by based on all those factors, you know, the, the health, the well-being of the players, prim- primarily, um, because it isn't fair to ask at this stage of the season when there's a lot of miles on the clock anyway, this season more so than any other season, given the concertina nature of the calendar, um, to ask players to basically go again two days later. I mean, it's it's a farcical situation in a in a league where, you know, the, the prize is going to the Premier League with, with all the money that's involved there and, and the high-profile nature of it, um, that you are asking, essentially, as Daniel feels it's going to be, players to basically head straight to the team hotel from whatever international assignment they've had on the Thursday, the day before the game, to meet up with their club mates to then be wheeled out at Deepdale. Um it's a little bit on El Hernandez changing his kit in his car, getting to uh, the ground kind of thing. It's farcical. And, uh, you know, if that is what comes to pass, then, um, you know, really, I don't think the expectations for, for that Norwich team that takes the pitch at Preston can be what they have been to this point, because really that's almost to try and get through damage limitation exercise. And then, of course, they you could argue they have an extra day because the Huddersfield game has been switched from Easter Monday to Easter Tuesday. But, that's going to be a great comfort to Daniel Farker if he's without Grant Hanley because he's pulled something at Preston because he had to play two days after he, he was wheeled out for Scotland. So um, there will be very, very nervous times for, for the head coach, I'm sure, around that game and after that game. And, uh, and it might just be you get in, get in, get out unscathed. Hopefully you've got a positive result and then roll on again. And again, I'm saying it again, the fact that they've got eight-point gap over Watford and a little bit more to the other uh, chasing pack that, for me, is is the big thing. Because can you imagine if Norwich were level on points with Watford at the minute going into this game or, you know, two points clear of Swansea and Swansea had a game in hand, then you would there would be palpable concern because, you know, ultimately one game, we've seen it, one game, one weekend can shift things dramatically in terms of the momentum in the Championship. Um, I'll go back two seasons ago when it was Norwich, Leeds, Sheffield United and it felt like because they would all be playing at slightly different times, um, each weekend, it felt exponentially bigger, the emotions. And uh, we can only be thankful that Norwich have a little bit of a cushion. And, you know, even a defeat at Preston, if we want to go that far, um, wouldn't be hugely detrimental if they could pick it up again at Huddersfield uh, or at home to Huddersfield on Easter Tuesday. But um, it's just, it's not, it's not, as you say, the EFL have let Norwich down. There's no two ways about it. It's not fair to Norwich. Um, and, one just hopes that if you're Daniel Farker, maybe they're using that internally for a little bit of extra motivation that we'll show you. You know, you, you've tried to make things hard for us. Fine. You know, we'll take that. We'll suck it up. And as a group, siege mentality, we'll come out fighting at Preston. A Preston who, let's, let's not remember, uh, have just departed with uh, with Alex Neal and Frankie McAvoy's in charge. He'll be keen to get off to a good result. But clearly that's a, a team who are in reverse gear at the minute. So, you know, you have to be thankful for small mercies. It isn't that they're going to Watford, for example, or you know Brentford or Swansea, but uh, but 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 still, um, it is going to be a huge challenge for for Farker, his coaches, sports science people, the fitness and physical conditioning lads, because and ladies, because they're going to have to really come to the party, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of that period, and and just try and manage the situation as best they can. But 
you know, ultimately, uh, I don't think in the final analysis it's going to be detrimental in terms of whether Norwich go up or not. It's just an uncomfortable few days ahead around that game, just in terms of particularly the centre-backs now with Gibson out. You know, Grant Hanley, he's the one for me. Um, heaven forbid he got an injury that kept him out for any length of time because, you know, well, if that, put it this way, if Grant Hanley gets an injury at Preston, then stand well back when Daniel Farker comes to do his post-match media because I think it could be uh, the, the mask will definitely slip that day and I think it'll be both barrels firmly in the direction of the EFL. So let's hope that doesn't come to pass. But yeah, I think there's been a lot of talking around it. It's palpably unfair to Norwich. So all they can do is suck it up and try and come out the other side unscathed. Yeah, in terms of that Good Friday, uh, Watford hosts Sheffield Wednesday at three o'clock, so same time. And uh, Swansea travel to Birmingham at eight o'clock on the Friday night. So even they get a little bit more recovery time. But of course, the major frustration inside uh, inside Norwich is that Brentford, of course, play Huddersfield on the Saturday because uh, Sky moved that game for television. So it's almost the point that if this game would have been selected for television, Norwich could have pushed it back. Um, without Preston's approval, but uh, but there we go. I, I just I just wonder if it was a team like Barnsley, for example, who have been on a tremendous run of form, managed to get themselves in the playoffs, essentially have a, a once in a however many seasons shot at reaching the Premier League. And if they were suddenly about eight of their of their starting eleven, I think they would um, they would ask some serious questions as well. But there you go. As you said, Pad Norwich, you're going to have to suck it up and uh, and get on with it. And it's going to be interesting to see just how they deal with it. They may well end up using it for motivation. And um, Peter on YouTube, I hope you're well, Peter, watching from the States. Uh, it says, now, Paddy knows what it's like to watch Norwich from America in relation to your Onel Hernandez um, <laughs> reporting stint in the in yeah. the early hours. So um, I'm sure you can have some sympathy with those guys now. Uh, Shane Jones, Skip had a good game for the under-21s. Definitely a man of the match performance, even if they lost. Uh, Phil Afferton, if the guys on international duties, uh, duty lose their games, how will that affect their confidence for being back ready to roll for Preston or after? I'll throw that in your direction, Pad. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm usually Mark. Mind is, is going to them 21s, lads. You know, uh, Aaron's skip and obviously Todd Campbell didn't get on yesterday, but very, very disappointing. Uh, 1 0 opening defeat in their quest to make the finals of the European Championships at that level. Um, and you can see the disappointment. I think at the final whistle, I was watching the game and Max Aaron's looked uh, very broken and de- dejected. And, uh, you know, it'll be tough to pick themselves up again to go. I think they got Portugal's 21s on Sunday. That won't be an easy affair either. Um, we could dedicate a pod entirely to Aidy Boothroyd. Uh, I'm not having him at all. Uh, it takes some coaching effort to take a group as talented as that and, and make them bang average. Um, I don't think they had a shot on target against the Swiss uh, yesterday. Shocking, really. And it's, it's the second tournament that he's had an opportunity. Um, I mean, you can't get a tune out of, you know, Hudson Adoy or. Uh, Curtis Jones, you know, he was good enough to win a Premier League title with Liverpool and yet he can't start yesterday. I, I find it staggering. But anyway, as I say, that's another podcast. But uh, uh, to answer the question, no, for me, I don't I don't think so. I think I think it can compartmentalise, you know, that's international duty and and all, and almost it can be, you know, if they if say those twenty ones lads come back in England have bombed terribly and have gone out uh, with their tail between their legs, yeah, there'll be a bit of disappointment when they pitch back up, but then they're going into an environment which is a winning environment and a winning culture. Um, and they'll, they'll probably better draw comfort from that because they will feel they're back, back what they know, and, and under a coach who knows how to get the best out of them, shall we say? So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not too concerned. That's the nature of football, isn't it? You win games, you lose games. So, I, I don't think. Irrespect- I mean, Tim Krul's a good one as well. You know, he's had a by his high standards a very poor night the other night. Um, 
kept goal for, for Holland. They got beat 4-2 in Turkey. He's been beaten three times from outside the area. Um, and he was thrust in. Uh, Sillerson, the number one, got injured in the warm-up and he was almost just literally thrust in. Not ideal preparation, but a ter- terrible night for him. And and I've seen some quotes today from Frank Debord, the Dutch coach, backing him to, to respond tomorrow because there's obviously been, you can imagine in Holland, there's been a lot of criticism of Tim Krul subsequently, um, which is a little bit unfair, I think, because there were some excellent finishes. But um, if you're Tim Krul, such an experienced guy, even if it, he has a poor game tomorrow, uh, they play Latvia, I think, in, in Amsterdam, he's not going to turn up at Preston, not ready to go because he's an experienced player. So, yeah, I, that doesn't concern me at all. You know, there'll be highs, there'll be lows. Um, but ultimately, you know, you come out of a club environment into internationals and then vice versa. I think you can easily refocus and go again. And um, and if anything, you know, if, if these players come back and have had a bit of disappointment, then get back on the winning horse, as it were, at Preston. And uh, that's the best perfect antidote to that, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not particularly concerned, that, uh, you know, wherever these guys are. It's, I think the only concern with those guys is that they come back fit, healthy and physically in a good shape, given some of them more so than others, are clocking up some some really big mileage. And uh, that's that's not ideal at this stage of the season. Yeah, and as we've already said, um, some players have, have had a really positive experience already. Grant Hanley, for example, getting his first Scotland goal in three years. Timmy Buki scored the other night. Um, Skip and, and Aarons are both playing in a in a European Championship and just on that, three wins for England in 18 now, which is quite a staggering statistic at a, at a, at a tournament like that. I mean, it's... Um, yeah, as you say, different podcast for Eddie Booth, Boyd, but um, he must have a hell, of a, a hell of an agent, let's put it that way. Um, Keith Shaw, maybe a new striker for the Premier League. Yeah, this is a an interesting one. I, I guess the debate would be around Adam Eder, wouldn't it? And obviously he's he's um, he's uh, suffered with a hernia injury, potentially could be back this side of the international break, may not be, depends on how quickly his, his recovery takes after surgery. We saw Ben Godfrey last season that he was back within a week. Sometimes it takes a bit longer, but... I guess the debate would be about him maybe dropping out for a, a championship loan and getting a season of, of experience under his belt. But I just get the sense maybe that Norwich probably won't want to do that because of how highly they rate him. What, what are your thoughts on the striking situation and maybe yeah. adding another one for the Premier League? Oh, I think they'll have to, absolutely. Um, but on the Adam Eder one, that's, it's a very difficult problem because there's the the personal development of the player and then there's obviously what, what works for the club and the squad and the... Uh, I think for for his personal development, you know, another season, for example, in the Premier League where it's bits and pieces, it's a cameo here, a cameo there. Not sure on the back of pretty much that's how it's been this season. And and last season when he broke through at at Preston, funny enough, that FA Cup game in the January of that season, that's two or three seasons where he's not really played a lot of senior football. And I don't think for that guy is particularly good for his development. So where, where you tip the balance is, well, ultimately for Farker and Weber to decide, but... I don't think necessarily that they would look to move him out. But if you bring another one in and you're obviously only going to be probably playing with one and that one, to all intents and purposes, would be Timu Puki at the start of the season, then you've got Jordan Hugel in the mix as well. If you bring another one in, then is Adam Eder going to get too much exposure? So, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting one. What I do think, though, in terms of the, the, the general debate about the strikers, it was proven two seasons ago. You know, Timmy Pugge comes in absolutely on fire, carried on where he left off. August's Premier League player of the, uh, of the month, wasn't he? Um, first Norwich player since Evan Okoke score a hat-trick in the top flight. Uh, that game against Newcastle could do no wrong. And you thought, well, yeah, he's going to be the man all the way through. But, of course, him and Norwich tailed off quite dramatically. 
Um, and he looked a very weary operator in that second part of the season, got that injury, that toe injury at Luke, sorry, at Leicester in, in the December of that top flight season and was never the same player again. So, again, you know, learning lessons, Farker and Weber will think, well, yes, Timo will be the main man maybe from the outset, but A, we need somebody who can come in. And Dermic was obviously the one they'd identified and that didn't work, uh, spectacularly backfired. Um, but they will need somebody who's a, able to come in and score goals at that level, but, but also maybe provide Timu with a little bit of competition as well to, to continue his high level of performance that he's got back to this season. So, but ultimately, you know, we're talking about what sort of finance they've got to play with. Proven Premier League strikers, you're talking big money, big, big money. Um, so I think they're going to have to probably, there'll be an element of gamble, um, whether you look into the championship, but even a, you know, I mean, a, a decent operator at championship level is going to cost serious money as well. A decent operator at League One level, you know, it's going to cost serious money. And then there's huge questions about whether they can step up to the Premier League. So you've got to think they'll probably go the foreign route. Um, and if they do, they need to probably source somebody uh, far better equipped than Josip Dermic was, that's for sure. So um, I think questions would have to be asked. If they start next season and they haven't added to the striker department, then for me, they're leaving themselves a little bit short because I don't think Adam Eder is ready to hang your hat on in the Premier League. I don't think Jordan Hugel is had a little go at West Ham and didn't quite work for him there. There would be question marks against him. Um, and that's a huge burden to place on Timu Puki. So uh, I think really everything leads or everything's pointing to needing to bring in a striker. But that's fine. But then how you actually bring in somebody who's good enough for the finances they've got available. So, yeah, that could be an interesting one to watch and, and start to see which type of names they're getting linked with because there's no doubt um, if they have to rely on Timu Puki again, I, I fear, you know, we might be back in the same situation with him and, uh, you know, it will get to a point in the Premier League season where he needs help. And uh, and if, if they don't have that on hand, then you've seen how difficult it is at Premier League level. If you don't have goals in your side, look at the teams towards the bottom end this season, the ones who can't score. Um, it's a very, very uphill battle and one that, you know, Norwich faced last time around and wasn't able to um, compensate almost when Timu just fell off that level he was on. So, uh, yeah, definitely an area for me needs to be addressed in terms of outside the squad, in terms of bringing in players. And I guess the other point to that is how do you do all of what you just said without blocking Adam Eder's pathway as well? Yeah, exactly, yeah. He's, he's clearly one they have high hopes for. So do you do you look to get him a development loan somewhere? Say so you'd imagine he'd get a fairly decent loan in the Championship, for example. And then do you right. sign another striker on loan with a view that if Eder does very, very well, the season after he may be ready to take that step up. It's it's, it's all these factors that need to be um, taken into consideration. But yeah, I'm with you. I would be absolutely shocked if they didn't add a, a striker to their to their ranks uh, in the summer. Uh, Mel Marathon Zimmerman has uh, been okay when he's played. He should see us through. Uh, a couple from Shane Jones as well. Weber has proved recruitment-wise he can do it in the Championship. Now just needs to show what he can do in the Premier League. He will be keen to prove a point. Uh, and then he's added the nervous part is that Daniel Farker and Stuart Weber's contracts both run out in the summer of 2022. I wonder, depending on how the season goes in the Premier League, whether that will determine if both get improved deals. We've kind of spoken about this a lot and I expect over the next 12 months it will be something increasingly that we come to speak about with obviously Hickier and Scott being quite vocal for the first time about his desire to become a sporting director as well. Of course, Norwich is head of recruitment at the moment. How do you kind of see that situation going with, with Daniel and, and, and Stuart? Because particularly in Daniel's case, I suppose we know that he is a coach who, if he does leave a club, it is at the end of contracts rather than, as he would call it, breaking a contract with, with a club. He's always very keen to point out he's never done that. So 
it's going to be interesting to see what happens, isn't it, over the next 12 months or so? Yeah, I mean, that is a very fair point. And, and I, I can almost hear in my head now that whenever, inevitably, those questions start being fired at him, subject to any, you know, the official sort of statement saying contracts have been extended, for example, then that's what he will say. He will say, look at my career. I've never, I've never left a contract mid-contract. So, uh, but unfortunately, these questions will get louder and louder. And to be fair, if you just go back to when he prior to signing this new, because obviously this is the second deal he signed since he came to Norwich in 2017. You know, there was a period six months or so prior to where it was that. It was, are you signing a new deal? What's happening with talks? Where's your head at kind of thing? And I think they announced that deal halfway through that season, if my memory serves it, I'm getting sort of February of that season. Um, and that ended it then. And, uh, and the reality is whether they're doing well in the Premier League or whether they're doing poorly, this question in terms of his future beyond next season and Stewart's for that matter they will continue until it's definitively decided um these questions will continue to get asked of them because you know so much of what Norwich are trying to build is about mid to long-term sustainability and putting processes and structures in place but ultimately at the figurehead of what has worked so well so far is Weber and Farker they are the the driving force everything that is happening at that club Really, you can trace back to those guys, you know, Daniel in terms of the, on the pitch and the football side of it and the first team environment, Stuart with pretty much everything else in terms of, you know, building that club up, the infrastructure of it, the, the transformation, the colony, the training grounds, you know, further improvements planned, this, you know, revolutionary soccer bot machine, which should be in place at Colney, you know, three quarter of a million pound investment, first one in the UK um, to, to improve technique and then player training methods, uh, cutting edge technology, all of that flows from Weber and Farker. And if those two guys are only technically contracted to the club to the end of next season, then it's inevitable. Questions will continue to be asked. And they should know that as well. So, you know, at some point, it may, whether it is in, uh, into next season, I think something will definitively have to be said because otherwise these questions will grow louder and louder. And it's a distraction which nobody really needs. If you're those players, you know, for example, hypothetically, the January of next season, i.e. six months from the end of Farker and Weber's contracts, they're trying to bring players into the club. Those players and their representatives are going to want to know, are you going to be, if you're Daniel Farker, are you going to be the coach here beyond the end of the season? Because you're asking me to sign or, or pledge my future for two, three years, four years, whatever it is. Um, but you're only here for another six months. So, you know, how do you attract those players if you can't give them those type of guarantees? Similar to Stuart Weber, I'm sure, you know, some of the areas of the business that he deals with. Um, they they will need if it's agents he's talking to in terms of you know sounding out about potential players those agents will want to know well are you going to be here beyond six months if it was that January so it's a difficult one yeah I mean it's a really difficult one and you can you can only hope and probably realise that the way Weber works particularly is nothing is left to chance and that the succession planning that goes on behind the scenes is is really one of the strengths of where Norwich have got themselves to as a club on and off the pitch. And um, he will certainly not want that type of distraction next season of all seasons, because ultimately what they're going to be trying to do next season is, is put a, a better fight than they did two seasons ago. And it'll be all the energies, all the focus, I'm sure, in terms of inside the club will be pointed at can they stay up? Can they stay up? Can they build? Can they build in the Premier League? Um, and to have in the background, well, yeah, we can we can keep pushing those messages, but are you going to be here, Stuart? Are you going to be here, Daniel? Um, so for me, the only way that gets ended and certainty prevails is 
at some point next season, they come out and they say, look, we're going, but that's the end of it. And, and we will now work on a succession plan or, you know, we're going to stay a bit longer. And you can only take them at their word. Stuart has quite clearly said when he signed that last deal, he said this will be his last deal. He, he has ambitions beyond Norwich. He's not uh, a detached person. He's not a Norwich fan. He's not from Norfolk. He wants to work abroad. He's openly said that before. Um, he's talked about Daniel in terms of Daniel will manage in the Champions League with the greatest respect. And I think that's going to be at Norwich. So um, they may feel 2022 is a natural end. You know, if, if they've kept Norwich up, put it that way, if they've kept Norwich up, then they could walk out the door with reputations intact and legacies secured, you know, to, to, to leave a club that they picked up listing badly in the championship with a huge financial hole and, and, Keep them in the champ. Keep them in the Premier League, having won the title in the Championship twice, and having transformed their finances in terms of the balance sheet, and having all those young, exciting, highly commoditized assets on the books. Um, I don't think anybody would begrudge them if they moved on. But what a hole that would leave if if Norwich in the summer of twenty two were having to replace Stuart Webber and Daniel Farker. Well, good luck with that. So, uh, but but then again, Stuart has, has said, and you talked about Kieran Scott. Stuart said he wouldn't. He, he feels such a debt of gratitude to Dealey and Michael. He he just wouldn't walk out the door, close it behind him, and that's it. He will make it his mission. He said to if it's if he's moving on that he he will whether it's recommending people, whether it's actually identifying somebody to take it on from him, um, whether that's internally or whether that's externally. So. You know that's all well and good, well and good, and it, it's reassuring to hear. But it won't stop the question. So, yeah, sadly, that's a long-winded way of saying we're going to be talking about this pretty much routinely next season until and if their contractual situation is is resolved. And uh, it's 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 a concern. You have to feel it is a concern because this club is in such a better state than it was when they took it over. Um, and of course, there's yeah. Potentially, they could they could be a better coach than Daniel Farker. There could be somebody better than Stuart Webber, but it doesn't feel like that is the case at the minute. And uh, and it would be a step into the unknown. And you know, just when Norwich are on the cusp, hopefully, of establishing themselves not in the top twenty six in the country, but maybe even the top twenty, the top seventeen in the Premier League, um, to then lose the two architects of that, then you know, it, it does inject a degree of uncertainty into the whole process so um yeah you know right here right now everything's very positive and moving forward and everything looks cohesive and the planning is all there and you can see a mid to long term with these two guys but these two guys move on two other people come in they might see things slightly differently and there's no guarantee the direction of travel that they're on now is the direction of travel they remain on so yeah it's just at the background but it will start to grow and grow and grow and uh you know as i say at the risk of repeating myself until Till we know if they're here or not beyond 22, we'll continue to be talking about this, I'm sure. Yeah, Weber did leave the uh, door slightly ajar, didn't he? I think, at the AGM and, and uh, did repeat that it, it was his intention it would be his last deal, but did caveat that by saying never say never. So uh, who knows? And, and whether this pandemic has changed anything or any plans, we shall see. Um, Robert Alexander, one for Paddy, particularly because of his Coventry, and he's put roots like that. So I don't, I don't know exactly what he means by that. But he said, do you see Sam McCallum being uh, an effective understudy at left back? I suppose he means next season. Hard to see it. I mean, we're talking about Adam Eder and, and the step up. Um, I think that's that's a big call. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of games for Coventry this season in the Championship, but that's the first time he's played in the Championship and he's done reasonably well. But with the greatest respect, pains me to say it, but it's a team at the wrong end of the table, not a team at the top end. So um, I don't know. No, I, I think I think Yanulis obviously clearly is is the main man and will be the main man. But 
I can see Barley Mumba maybe emerging, you know, uh, in terms of a, an understudy. And obviously, ostensibly, he's, he's a right-back option. But, you know, and of course, a guy who also has to come into the equation and we still don't know if he will get back to the level he was. But Sam Byram, you know, he's still technically a potential op- option for him in the Premier League. You know, he proved himself in the Premier League as a left-back. You know, he was, he was keeping Jamal Lewis out until sadly he got that injury, which he continues to be sidelined with. Um, so few moving parts to that aspect of where Norwich are in terms of left back options, but your new list definitely. And then McCallum, no, I don't see it. I, I don't see McCallum. I, I think if if it was going to be your new list, they're not going to bring back Xavi Quintia, for example. Then you're probably waiting to see firstly where Byram's at. If Byram was able to get back to a level where he can play in the Premier League, then I think. Case closed. I think he he would he would be your understudy for Janulis, but uh, if he's not available, then it's probably a bit of a leap of faith to throw Mumba in as a, as a Premier League understudy option. Uh, so is that another area they have to go and bring somebody else in? You know, it's it's a, it's a very very devilishly difficult situation they find themselves in this summer because, as you said right at the outset, you know it, they will be busy, and I'm sure in ideal world they'd, they'd have two or three areas of the squad based on everything else staying the same. But the reality is everything else won't stay the same. You know, players possibly will move on. They might decide there's one or two injured players that probably aren't going to be with them on the journey still. So um, right here, right now, I think they're probably going to wait and see where Byram's at. And and if Byram can get back, and uh, that's a big if, then they're probably catered, I think, with Janulis in the building on a permanent deal. And and for me, that would mean Sam McCallum probably another championship loan. Uh, I just think, you know, I always go back to the Paul Lambert two leaps in one season uh, seasonal period where, you know, there was a few lads who maybe were decent at League One level options, but when they got championship, then when they got Premier League, the club had just moved. I mean, Weber talks about this. In, there were come points, Madison reached it, where the player outgrows grows the club at that stage of their respective development. It might well be that Norwich as a club are probably outgrowing where Sam McCann is as a player moving into next season, and he won't be alone in that. And that's just the brutal reality of it, that Norwich, when they recruited Sam McCallum, they were probably looking for somebody who could do him a job in the Championship. Whereas now, they're probably going to be looking for somebody to do him a job in the Premier League. And I don't think right here, right now, in that young man's career, that is necessarily Sam McCallum. No, I would agree. Uh, we'll be with you for about five minutes more or so. So any uh, last questions, get them in. Uh, BB25AM uh, on YouTube. Akin Fameru and Rocky Bashiri, will they get a chance as backup? in the Premier League. I can't see it on either of those. I think for Mayweather, maybe as an option in the Championship. I think that's probably the next stage for him, isn't it? Um, it's a shame because he started off well at, at Charlton, but injuries have, have hampered him a little bit. And as for Bashiri, um, he's, he's obviously um, had a few loans in Belgium. So uh, he may be one that we actually see leave permanently this summer we'll, we'll have to see uh, Dubai Canary Preston will pay a heavy price for not shifting the game from Friday to Saturday City will put them to the sword well that would certainly be uh, ideal uh, Chris Smith in my opinion Norwich don't risk any of the players on international duty the Preston game isn't worth four or five injuries um, Reagan Strange which is an excellent username said that hi guys from Canada are we, ta- are we taking the remaining points it would be amazing to get to 107 Thanks, as always, boys. Thank you very much for the question. Um, Pad, what do you think? 107, probably. That would mean Norwich not dropping a point at all between now and the remainder of the season. It would be a new championship record, which is currently 106. I can just see them getting promoted and maybe taking their foot off the pedal a little bit, if I'm honest. But um, high 90s would be a good achievement, wouldn't it? If, if they could get in around 100 points, that would, that would, be, that would be sensational. 
Oh, it would be, absolutely, yeah. I mean, what are they on now, Connor? 83, is it? 82, 83? Yeah, 83, yeah. 83. I think I saw a stat before the uh, for the Blackburn game that if they got to, as it would have been then, 82. There we go. Thank you, Tony. 82. And if they'd have got another four wins, that's 12 points. 84, 85, 95, yeah. So where they are now, four wins. Um, I think there was a stat I saw on social media the other day that that gets them automatically promoted in however many seasons. We're talking, you know, a long, long period of time since the team posted 95 and didn't go up automatically. And I think in 12 of the 16, last 16 seasons, 95 wins you the title. Um, so, you know, another four wins out of what they've got remaining now, 30, got eight, is it eight games left? Yeah, six, seven, eight, yeah, eight games. So surely this team can win four out of eight. Um, and I'd be quite happy. Let's not be too greedy, Connor. Like Mid-90s, um, Eclipse, what they did two seasons ago. Another title in the back pocket. And, uh, you know, I think 107. No, I don't see 107. Uh, <laughs> I don't even see 100, if I'm honest. But uh, certainly mid-90s, that should be more. Than, I mean, ultimately, what you're saying there is eight games left, they could lose four and, and, and win the other four and still get mid-90s. So, um, I, I mean, we can have this debate once it's done and dusted. But given the backdrop that we've all had to live through, but obviously they've had to deal with as well, you know, the, 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 whole, the whole impact of the pandemic. Um, I think this season will go down possibly Norwich's greatest ever, ultimately, because, uh, you know, no other group of players, head coach, football club staff have faced this level of equation, you know, complexity of problems, really. Uh, and, and a lot of it, not all football's making, sadly. And, uh, to to put a team and a group together that have you know come down with all the sort of negativity that surrounds a team relegated, particularly one as who were relegated in quite such abject fashion, uh, to to roar back with a title, ninety five plus points, um, absolutely phenomenal achievement and one for me that will stand the test of any other ever season in Norwich's history. And and you can debate that all you want, you know, in terms of well, it's not the Premier League or it's not the top flight. Um, there was no trophy at the end of it or whatever in terms of, you know, a Wembley appearance. Yeah, I understand all that. But, you know, up for me, this season would go down as probably the greatest ever in their history. It's never going to be forgotten, is it? Uh, regardless, I think, of, of how it ends, just because of the, the circumstances around it. But, yeah, if they could get anywhere near 100 points, that would be that would be amazing. It would put them certainly up there with, with one of the best championship teams ever. Um, but, yeah, I think that, that record that, that Reading have, 106 points, probably looks like they're going to keep that this year unless something uh, something amazing happens in the remaining eight games, which uh, which certainly would be good. Uh, to buy Canary on YouTube, where is Bali Mumba up to at the moment? Is he fit? He is fit. I think it's just um, the embarrassment of riches that, that Daniel Farker has at the moment. He's been uh, involved in a few 23s games. Of course, he may be one that we end up seeing at Preston at right back. Uh, a few suggestions here uh, talking about strikers. Barry Young said it. Max Edmonds said it. Um, Jonathan Dye said a different Newcastle striker, but they're, they're talking about Dwight Gale, who seems to have been linked with Norwich, I think, for every window since about 2012. Uh, Callum Wilson, the, the other name as well. Newcastle, obviously not in a particularly good way. I think Callum Wilson has probably been a, a rare shining light, although injured at the moment. They could go down. I, I guess it would be probably in their best interest to keep those sort of players. And even if Norwich were tempted to go for a player like that, it would probably fall into the bracket that we were speaking about earlier in terms of a of a high fee. I would uh, I would suggest. I don't know if yeah, you're well, well, I mean, we, 
we don't we don't know exactly what goes into their bank every month, but their ages would be completely out of Norwich's orbit. I mean, Wilson must be on 60, 70, 80 plus, I'd imagine. So, uh, yeah, there's no chance, sadly, because Colin Wilson is a Coventry lad. I'll, I'll let everybody know. Uh, not not born that too far from where I'm from, actually. So he's a, he's one I'd love to see come through the door, but uh, not for those finances. No, definitely not. Well, funny enough, I did see... Um, you know, talking about championship options and, and Adam Armstrong, who was injured the other day for Blackburn, but has scored a lot of goals. You know, obviously Tony's getting all the headlines, Timu's in, in his slipstream. But Adam Armstrong, considering he's, he's missed quite a few games of injury, I think he's up around 1920. Uh, I've seen him because he was formerly from Newcastle. He's been linked with Newcastle already, I think, uh, in the summer. Um, and you might think, well, OK, you can't maybe afford the Premier League proven strikers. Could there be ones in the championship? But the reality is Adam Armstrong is probably going to be going for 10, 15 plus million as well. So possibly even that market is too pricey for Norwich domestic talent. And of course, we won't get into it because we're coming to the end now, but the whole the Brexit impact, um, which Norwich obviously navigated very well with Yanulis in the summer, but that's going to probably push up the premium of domestic-based players, both UK nationals and like a Buendia, you know, settled status players as well. So reality is Norwich trying to bring in domestic talent it's probably not going to happen because of the costs involved, because there's a high premium with the Brexit. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree. I think we're, we're probably going to leave it there. We've been going for just over an hour. I can see there's some questions that we've not answered, but uh, you, we'll, we'll do another one of these at some point, and I'm sure you can uh, you can come back and join us for that and ask us all your questions again. I think the majority, some of them we've touched upon earlier on. So if you've um, if you've joined us late, then uh, make sure to watch it back. It'll be on our YouTube channel. Of course, you've got a whole week now to uh, to catch up with it. Um, so there we go. Uh, Pad, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, thank you all very much for watching. Of course, pinkin.com, the place to go for all the updates on the international um, matches and, and, and all the progress of the international players. And uh, we will be at Deepdale uh, next week, week today, isn't it? Good Friday uh, for that game as well. Thank you very much for watching. Stay safe. See you soon.